Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Good Distinctions. I'm your host, Will Wright, and Good Distinctions are the spice of life. Today is January 1st, the new year, 2024, but more importantly, it is the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God. And so we're going to talk about the four Marian dogmas, as well as a few other teachings on our Blessed Mother, uh, because I think they're good for a review. And I, I think it absolutely fits into what I'm trying to do here at Good Distinctions, um, which is help especially our, our Protestant brothers and sisters to understand that, that these are biblical. These are things that are part of the tradition of the church, and they're not man-made traditions. These are things that were given to us, revealed to us by God. I'm from North Carolina originally, and I had a lot of Baptist friends, and they were really hung up on our Blessed Mother. And that's such a shame because our Blessed Mother, she's the mother of Jesus, but she's also the mother of the baptized. She's your mother and my mother uh, by virtue of baptism. And so she uh, she's there to intercede for us and help us. And so I think it's time to just set aside some time just to say, what does the church say about her definitively, dogmatically? And so that's what we're doing today. So there are four Marian dogmas, uh, and that is Marian as in related to Mary. And these dogmas, dogmas in general, are those doctrines of the church, which have been specifically defined by the Pope and by the teaching authority of the church, which is the magisterium. Um, dogmas are teachings of the church, which are... Um, the way I like to put it is they're bolded, underlined, italicized. They're, they're doctrines of the church that have been elevated and proposed for our belief and faithful Catholics are not free to dissent from them. Um, now, a lot of people look at dogma and they see this as a bad thing. Uh, I was actually listening to a, a Jordan Peterson episode lately, uh, recently with uh, the atheist Sam Harris. And uh, Sam Harris brought up this point. He said, you know, the only group in the world that sees dogma as a good thing is the Catholic Church. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, he's he's right to an extent and he sees dogma as a source of conflict. But I think it's a it's a misunderstanding of what dogmas are. Dogmas are in fact those teachings of the church which haven't been changed. They've simply been you could think of the font on a word processing document or a Google Doc if you bold the font, have you changed the words? No. If you underline it, do you change the words? No. Italicize it. Uh, you get my point. Highlight it. So the font hasn't changed. The doctrine hasn't changed, but it's been bolded, underlined, italicized, and highlighted. Why? Well, for our benefit, right? To teach us something about Christ and about his church. And so the first one I want to look at is Mary, Mother of God. The Council of Ephesus taught that Mary is truly the Mother of God since she gave birth to the second person of the Trinity who became man for our sake. In the East, this dogma is referred to uh, by the original Greek title of Mary as Theotokos, or uh, God-bearer in Greek. Mary of Nazareth is clearly the mother of Jesus. She bore him in her womb, gave birth to him, and raised him with the help of her chaste spouse, Joseph. So how can we say that Mary is the mother of God himself then? Because God is, in fact, a trinity, one God and three persons. Another dogma of the church, by the way. Is Mary the mother of the trinity? And we would say, no, Mary is not the mother of the Trinity. She's only the mother of the second person of the Trinity because it's only the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh. 
What the church teaches about Mary safeguards the more central teachings concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Mary is the greatest theologian because she always points us to the truth of her son. She never detracts from him and always directs us to him. And I'm going to be repeating that quite a bit today. She never detracts from him. She always directs us to him. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, his eternal divine nature was united perfectly to the human flesh offered from Mary's own human flesh. Jesus has a human nature and a divine nature, but we can say truly that he is a divine person. However, mothers do not give birth to natures. They give birth to persons. And so we can say rightly that Mary is the mother of God because Jesus is God. And Mary is the mother of Jesus. It's that simple. The Catholic Church is not trying to assert that Mary is the mother of the Trinity. She's simply saying that she's the mother of Jesus and Jesus is God. And so we can say that Mary is the mother of God. Now, why would the church do this? Well, there was all sorts of different heresies like the Arian heresy and the Nestorian heresy, the Apollinarian heresy. All of these different heresies about Christ, we can look to Mary to safeguard what is true about Jesus. And so the church council of Ephesus in 431 said, Mary is the Theotokos. She is the mother of God. She's the God bearer. And maybe it's a linguistic thing. I mean, if you're a Protestant and you're listening to this and you say, I just don't like calling Mary the Mater Dei, the mother of God. Okay, fine. Call her Theotokos, the God bearer. Why? Because she bore in her womb God himself, Jesus Christ. Because if, to say that Mary is not the Theotokos, to say that Mary is not the mother of God, we would have to claim that Jesus isn't God. That's the whole point of this dogma. Okay, number two, the perpetual virginity. The church traditionally presents Mary as virgin before, during, and after giving birth. And that's a quote, virgin before, during, and after giving birth, affirming by indicating these three moments that she never ceased to be a virgin. The angel Gabriel revealed to Mary that she was to conceive and bear the, ch uh, the child, a child, by the power of the Holy Spirit, despite her being a virgin. She asked about this. She says, but I know not man. How can this be so? And her spiritual and physical virginity was consecrated to God and maintained for all time, what we, what we call her perpetual virginity. In the book of Isaiah 7, 14, we hear this. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, virgins don't normally conceive a child, so that's a bit strange from the offset. But the original Hebrew for this passage is ambiguous. The, the word is Alma, and it refers to a young woman, not necessarily a virgin, just a marriageable woman. The Greek translation of that word from the Septuagint uh, from the time just before Christ is Parthenos. And that's what we get the word virgin from in English. And so we look at this and we say, okay, what's God trying to reveal to us? Well, there's a dual fulfillment of this verse. There's one immediate fulfillment and one ultimate fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment is this. The house of David was facing imminent destruction in 732 BC. And Isaiah prophesies that God will save them from destruction. The later fulfillment is made clear a couple chapters later. In the book of Isaiah 9, 6, we read this. For a child is born to us and a son is given to us and the government is upon his shoulder. 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, God the Mighty, the Father of the world to come, the Prince of Peace. This is clearly not an imminent fulfillment. Imminent fulfillment. Isaiah is saying that the Messiah to come will be God himself in some miraculous way. We even hear where this child will be born in the book of Micah 5.2. And thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, art a little one among the thousands of Judah. Out of thee shall come he, uh, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel. And his going forth is from the beginning, from the days of eternity. So clearly, the fulfillment to come is brought to completion in Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem to the virgin, Mary. Thus, Mary virginally conceived Jesus without physical, physical corruption. And, and no uh, serious Christian is disputing this. If you believe in miracles, if you believe in the virgin birth, which you should, um, then you believe that Jesus was born of the virgin Mary. But it was also fitting that her birth should be virginal, without physical corruption in some way. Some of the church fathers hold that perhaps Jesus passed through the abdomen of the Blessed Virgin Mary as he passed through the wall into the upper room after his resurrection. Some hold that she gave birth in the normal way uh, and that this idea of the upper room is completely unnecessary. But, but regardless, she gave birth without any pain or damage. At any rate, the Second Vatican Council affirms this in saying from paragraph 57, Christ's birth did not diminish his mother's virginal integrity, but sanctified it. So Mary is the perfect model of purity, holiness, and cooperation with grace. She never detracts from him. She always directs us to him. All right, next one, Immaculate Conception. And this is from Ineffabilis Deus uh, in the 1850s. That the most blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin. So God, by the grace and merits of his son Jesus on the cross, very important that we understand that, it's by the grace of the cross, outside of time, Mary is preserved by a singular grace at the moment of her own conception. Singular grace, though it was, the means is nonetheless the same as the means that redeems you and I, the cross of Christ. Almighty God preserved her from all stain of original sin of Adam and Eve, and this began the reversal of the fall of man. The early church fathers said this. They said, and this is quoted in Lumen Gentium 56 from Vatican II as well, the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. With the Virgin Eve bound through her unbelief, the Virgin Mary loosened by her faith. And even more to the point, death through Eve, life through Mary. Mary was tempted to sin just as any one of us are, but she was able to resist temptation and sin at every turn because of her, her heroic virtue and obedience to God and faith. What a beautiful role model we have in our Blessed Mother. Not only was Mary the model of purity and holiness from the first moment of her conception, she maintained this purity and increased in her union with God. And remember, she never detracts from him and always directs us to him. Next up is the assumption. The Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul 
into heavenly glory. And that's from Munificentissimus Deus in the, in the mid-1900s. The dogma of the assumption is intricately connected, related to Mary's special privilege of being completely without sin, her immaculate conception. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, he opened the way to heaven. However, when we die, we'll have to wait until he comes again for the resurrection of the body. Mary, at the end of her earthly life, being completely free from sin as she was, did not see the decay of her earthly body, which is fitting for the Theotokos. By virtue of her immaculate conception, God shows that his mother would be taken up body and soul into heaven to reign as queen. Why this singular honor? We know that she never detracts from him and always directs us to him. So what is the Lord doing? What's he teaching us? Well, while the assumption is a special circumstance of Mary, her fate is open to be shared by all the faithful. When Christ comes again in glory, he will raise the living and the dead. This is what we call the general resurrection, and we profess it every Sunday Mass in the Creed or during the Rosary. We say, I, I look forward to the resurrection of the dead, or I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Every human life is fashioned in the image and likeness of Almighty God. The assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary upholds the reality of the dignity of each and every human life. Our bodies and souls must work together to follow Jesus because our bodies and souls will hopefully be worshiping him for eternity in heaven, God willing. And she went first, where we will follow. So those are the four Marian dogmas, those things that have been defined by the church. But so the Virgin Mary is the mother of God, preserved immaculate from the moment of her conception, assumed into heaven to reign as queen at the end of the course of her earthly life. What more could be said of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, actually, there's, there's two interconnected doctrines of the church, which have yet to be defined with the precision of the four Marian dogmas. Though not dogmas, these teachings of Mary are nonetheless true and show us that she never detracts from him and always directs us to him. Namely, Mary as co-redemptrix and mediatrix of all graces, an advocate with Jesus Christ on behalf of the human race. And again, she never detracts from him and always directs us to him. So before we get into the meaning of these titles of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the fall of man just after Adam and Eve committed the first sin. After the fall of man, God turns to the serpent, Satan, saying in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. She shall crush your head. Now, this proto-evangelium, this first gospel, shows that God did not wish to leave the crown of creation to their ruin. He says that he shall raise up a woman that is a mother who would crush the head of the serpent. This new Eve has been identified as Mary of Nazareth, who walked alongside the Redeemer, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, for a very long time, since the church fathers, since the beginning. With God's grace... And by her free choice, Mary participated uniquely in God's plan of salvation. Everything that the church teaches to be true of Mary and proposes for belief is there as a guide and safeguard for the truths of Christ. Again, we're not trying to worship Mary. We're not trying to put Mary on a pedestal. 
We're trying to show truths about Jesus from another vantage point with the revelation that God has given us. These are not man-made traditions. And we need look no further than the cross to see how Mary is co-redemptrix and how that beckons us to participate in the cross more fully. On the cross, Jesus Christ redeemed the world. By, by his own merits, his superabundant merits, Jesus Christ redeemed mankind. In other words, he brought back humanity from the jaws of death. He opened the way to eternal life by paying the price, the debt of Adam and Eve. He is the new Adam who makes up perfectly for the sin of the old Adam. And likewise, the Blessed Virgin Mary is the new Eve alongside the new Adam. Mary uniquely participates with Jesus in the saving work of Calvary, not, not taking away, not diminishing anything from Jesus, but instead just adding to it, adding to infinite. I mean, it, it seems almost absurd when we think about it. How could anyone add anything? But of course, St. Paul gives us this glimpse into this when, we, when he says that I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, what could possibly be lacking other than our cooperation? You see, Jesus is the Redeemer, and only he could buy back the human family from the bonds of sin. However, God willed that his mother, as a human being, should participate in the process of redemption not drive the ship, not be the pilot, but be the co-pilot, be the co-redemptrix. She is alongside the Redeemer, and thus she is called the co-redemptrix. This prefix co simply means with. She's the woman spoken of in the Proto-Evangelium that is, is in total enmity with Satan. She shows us the perfect model of participating in the work of redemption. Christ accomplished the redemption perfectly upon the cross, but the work of redemption continues until the end of time. We too today can unite our good works, our hopes, our desires, our sufferings, our joys to the cross of Christ. And when we do so, we offer a sacrifice of our lives in Christ and become co-redeemers with a little lowercase r, if you will not taking away anything from Christ, but specifically uniting ourselves with the superabundant and perfect gift of Christ on the cross. Mary is also referred to as the mediatrix of all graces. And at first, I need to point out that the Second Vatican Council teaches this in Lumen Gentium 60. The maternal duty of Mary flows forth from the superabundance of the merits of Christ, rests on his mediation, depends entirely on it, and draws all its power from it. It in no way, in no way does it impede, but rather does it foster the immediate union of the faithful with Christ. This is what the church believes. This is what the Catholic Church believes about Mary. I'm going to read it again because I think it's so important, especially for those who are not Catholic or Orthodox, to hear this. The maternal duty of Mary flows forth from where? From the superabundance of the merits of Christ, rests on his mediation, depends entirely on it, and draws all its power from it. In no way does it impede, but rather does it foster the immediate union of the faithful with Christ. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. 
Man does not supplant this mediation. Mary does not supplant this mediation. She simply participates in it in a unique way. From the moment that she consented to bring the word of God into the world, the God-bearer, the Theotokos, continues in her mission given to her by God. The mother of the Redeemer is given to St. John in Scripture, right, representing the whole church at the foot of the cross. Jesus says, woman, behold thy son. At that moment, Mary, the new Eve, is shown as the mother of all the living. As the fathers of the Second Vatican Council says, say, rather, she is our mother in the order of grace, which, and they go on to say, began with the consent which she gave in the faith at the Annunciation and lasts until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. From the moment she said yes to God at the Annunciation, Mary began her mediatingly mother role, motherly role for all mankind. Finally, the Council Fathers say this in Lumen Gentium 62, Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the salvific duty, but by her constant intercession continued to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. All of the grace of God is ordered to our eternal salvation. And Mary acquires these gifts and distributes them to all. This is the, the role that her son has given her as sort of the neck of the mystical body of Christ, if you will. Mary associates with her son in his work of redemption and mediation by the will of God the Father. It's by his plan and through her son that Mary has any ability to do anything. The father did not need her. He chose her. And Mary was associated with the Redeemer in acquiring graces. And so she shares with the mediator in their distribution. As St. Saint, Saint Bernardine of Siena said, Every grace that is communicated to this world has a threefold course. For by excellent order is dispensed from God to Christ, from Christ to the Virgin, and from the Virgin to us. See, as a loving mother... Mary does not detract from the work of her son. She doesn't detract from the glory of the father. As a loving mother, Mary cares for her children with tenderness. They've been entrusted to her. How could she not care for them? She brought us Jesus and continues to bring us Jesus. As St. Teresa of Calcutta said, no Mary, no Jesus. She is a model for the church and our great advocate. And she's with us throughout every step of our lives. She's even alongside us in the sacraments. She never leaves her son. In baptism, the stain of Eve is removed, and we're given the Holy Spirit and united to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mary, the new Eve, is alongside us as she was with the Redeemer under the cross. In confirmation, we receive the grace of Pentecost. Mary is present with us as she was present with the apostles at Pentecost. In the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, fully human, fully divine. This is still the flesh born of Mary. In penance, the merits of Christ on the cross are being applied to the penitent. The mediating presence of Mary at the cross makes her present to us in a very real sense in confession. Just as Mary did not see bodily corruption as she remained without sin, Mary advocates for us in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. She desires for us to be more in conformity with Christ and prays for us. Jesus Christ exercised his priesthood in his humanity and divinity, 
Without Mary's free consent, there would be no incarnation. And without the incarnation, there would be no holy orders. There would be no priests. The first public miracle of Christ took place at the wedding feast at Cana, where Christ elevated matrimony to the level of a sacrament. And further, this miracle took place as the result of God's will, of course, but as the result of Mary's advocacy on behalf of the couple. Only the magisterium of the church can declare a dogma, so it's not up to us to decide if there ought to be a fifth Marian dogma of co-redemptrix and mediatrix of all graces. Regardless, these doctrines are held to be the content of the faith and have been celebrated in various ways in the liturgical life of the church. Mary is co-redemptrix. She is mediatrix of all graces. She is our advocate, not detracting from her son, but always pointing us to him, always directing us to him, because there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Mary shows us the model of what we are to do with the grace that we are given. Well, thank you for listening to Good Distinctions today on the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and then subscribe to Good Distinctions at gooddistinctions.com. Please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Just take a moment right now, if you can, if you're not driving, to rate the show. Give it a five-star, please. Uh, leave a review if you want. The channel cannot grow without your help. Seriously, if, if, if you don't share it, then no one else hears it. Um, so please take a few moments to share it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, anywhere else you see fit. I don't think MySpace is still a thing, but if it is, you know, whatever. Put it up there, too. And a, an in-person recommendation is even better. So tell your coworkers, tell your friends about good distinctions. See, my hope is to produce one episode per week and at least four written articles or reflections per week. And, and frankly, it's a, it's a breakneck speed. And I believe in good distinctions. And I want to continue to expand our mission to reignite good conversations, find the best distinctions, and inspire others to do the same. So if you are in a position to support Good Distinctions financially, please consider becoming a paid subscriber at Good Distinctions. And if you wish to be part of Good Distinctions as a podcast, podcast guest or a contributing writer, please reach out to me at gooddistinctions at gmail.com. If you haven't, uh, go back and look. I've had some great conversations lately. I talked to uh, John Kramer with Praying at the Bricks about his Lego Church project. I talked to my friend Simone Rizcala about, um, you know, being an American, being a Catholic, being immigrant, or, or uh, in her case, daughter of immigrants. That was a great conversation. Coming up soon, I'm going to be talking. Uh, I already recorded it, but we'll be posting a couple of videos. One with my friend Ramy Leroy on uh, New Age and uh, sort of Buddhist meditation practices and how uh, she left those to become Catholic. Uh, in her 30s. A fascinating conversation. She's a great, great lady. Um, and then another conversation with Sammy Carroll, uh, who works for Life Choices Women's Clinic here in Phoenix. And we talk about how to be pro-life without being judgmental and you know, not trying to win political arguments so much as converting hearts and minds. There's definitely a place for the political action, um, but this one's more geared towards, again, changing hearts and minds. I also am going to have the privilege of having some guests on to talk about uh, some new books. Um, I'm in conversations with someone from Tan Books at the moment to have a couple of authors on 
Um, so pray for that. I'm, I'm inviting a couple of great authors. One of them is Father Mitch Pacwa. You might have heard of. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting him. So hopefully that'll work out. So pray for that. I'd love to talk to him. Uh, I'm also hoping to uh, be talking to Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, um, who I've had the pleasure of working with a couple of times. I'm uh, just trying to work with his schedule and a couple other great speakers, a couple of other great uh guests to have on the show. So a lot of great things, but I need your help. So again, if you can support financially, please go to gooddistinctions.com to become a paid subscriber. And uh, also please rate and review the podcast so it can be seen by more people, whether you're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. So if you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out Good Distinctions. I want to leave you with this beautiful Byzantine Catholic morning prayer. So let's pray. And I'll I'll actually do the sign of the cross Byzantine style. So it might seem a little backwards, but in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Theotokos, my most holy lady, unworthy as I am, I beg you by your holy and powerful prayers to cleanse my clouded mind and bruised heart. Free me from the memories of sins long gone by. Rescue me from every inclination to do wrong. In your goodness, help me for I am poor and lost. For you are praised by all generations, and your glorious name is honored forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, O Virgin Theotokos, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For you have given birth to Christ, the Savior and Deliverer of our souls. Under your protection we hasten, O Virgin Theotokos. Do not turn away from us in our time of need, but pure and blessed Lady, save us. You are truly deserving of glory, O Theotokos, the ever-blessed and most pure mother of God. More honorable than the cherubim and beyond compare, more glorious than the seraphim, who as a virgin gave birth to God the word. True Theotokos, we magnify you. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. God bless.